you know, we want to minimize body weight loss of the sow. And in general, she's probably going to put it into her pigs as opposed to put it onto her body um, during the lactation phase. So any groceries, as I sometimes call them, any nutrients that we can get into her during lactation, especially a time when intake is a little bit challenged, um, is a value to her, not just for that litter, but then the subsequent litter. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Roundtable. This is a new series of episodes created by the Swine It Podcast and Cargill, where we'll have roundtables with experts of the global swine industry tackling subjects that can influence the producer's bottom line. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. Cargill supports the podcast goal of helping pork producers improve their systems and business. Let's get back to the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's SwineIt podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Aaron Holmes, who's with Cargill as a swine nutritionist. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Laura. Well, glad to have you on today, Aaron. Um, for our audience who may not be familiar with you, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background? Sure. Yeah, so I grew up on a small farrow to finish hog farm in West Central Minnesota. Did my bachelor's and master's at North Dakota State University in Fargo, and then PhD in swine nutrition um, at University of Minnesota. And then for the last seven years, I have been with Cargill as a swine nutritionist. Wonderful. Well, we were visiting a little bit ahead of time, and one of the topics that I think we want to talk about right now is, is what to do with our sows in the summertime. And as you know, sows are something that's really near and dear to me, and I think the timing is perfect. We were just talking about how the weather is starting to change here, and um, the grass is growing and the sun is getting warmer. So as we think about this for our, for our farmers, what would be some things that pop into your mind immediately when we think about sows and, and summer nutrition management? Yeah, so when it comes to feeding sows um, in the summer, um, the, one of the biggest areas of concern is lactation um, and lactation feed intake, that heat stress response that um, sows experience when they're in lactation. Lactation is a very... Um, heat intensive um, phase um, that they're they're going through and experiencing, and then putting on top of that um, our higher temperatures and humidity, uh, we enter into heat stress when we would typically see sows back off on feed intake um, when we're really we're trying to get them to eat as much feed as possible. So you know there's. There's really two ways that that we can approach nutrient intake, which we're really what we're trying to do when we talk about feed intake. And we can we can drive voluntary feed intake, or we can we can talk about um, the nutrient concentration of the diet. Mm -hmm. Let's start with nutrient concentration of the diet. I think that's the one that most of us jump to immediately. Mm -hmm. um, certainly our, our probably our most common ingredient in the summer is fat. Um, but with where prices are today, obviously we're reconsidering that thought. So what are your thoughts today on nutrient management with sows? 
Yeah, so you're exactly right, Laura. You know, traditionally, uh, the common practice to for a summer lactation diet change would be to increase lysine level um, based on what we think that that uh, reduction in feed intake is going to be. So we're continuing to achieve the same level of amino acid intake, and then we would add fat to the diet. Um, to increase the the energy density of the diet. Um, Fat, while we get um, energy from several macro ingredients, fat is just very concentrated source of energy. Um, It's going to provide some dust control. It's going to facilitate fat, um, soluble um, vitamin absorption. And then also kind of, again, towards that summer piece, it's going to have what we call a lower heat increment. So the amount of heat that is produced by the animal to digest and utilize that um, is going to be lower than say other feed ingredients um, like fibers or protein. So that historically has been a few of the advantages of just adding fat to increase our energy density of the diet. But like you said, um, with where fat prices have gone the last 18 months, that's um, a much more expensive proposition to just go ahead and add fat to the diet. And so we have had questions from customers that we work with um, kind of on that note of, do we need to add fat or um, do we need to add this, you know, a certain amount of fat? in the lactation diet still, or, you know, what are the other alternatives that we could achieve um, that increase in energy um, nutrient intake? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that's a a really fair point. You know, fiber would be one that we think about with sows. They seem to kind of have a different um, nutrient utilization with their intestine as far as being able to maybe get some VFAs out of fiber. Um, but you just mentioned, of course, that fiber has a higher heat increment. So are there any things that pop to your head today on, on what we might need to think about in terms of alternatives to fat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, alternative feed ingredients, you know, bakery would be um, an ingredient that's higher energy, um, not as certainly not as high as fat. Again, fat is that really energy dense ingredient. Um, but bakery um, can come into lactation diets. Um, distillers can come into lactation diets. Like you said, there, there's a little bit of, you know, we're introducing some additional heat with digestion. What does that end up um, kind of, if you will, costing us? But there, it, there is certainly diet savings to using distillers. Um, and even, you know, phosphorus, ph- the price of monocal. Um, has increased a lot and some people just simply aren't even able to get it. So distillers does have um, a readily available form of phosphorus. Um, So so there are some pros and cons to consider. Um, From my experience, we see a wide variety and comfort level of using distillers in lactation diets and, and, and reasonably so. And primarily the big one is going to be mycotoxins. So we do have people that use quite a bit of distillers in lactation and they seem to do it quite successfully, though there's a lot of monitoring and 
quality control in place to understand um, all of the macro ingredients that are going into that lactation feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's really good. Um, the other thing that we visited a little bit about um, that you had mentioned earlier were enzymes. Um, any thoughts on that if we want to go a step further? Yeah, yeah. So one thing um, kind of on the the table for discussion, um, you know, it's probably not something necessarily to to blanket recommend for everyone at this point. But yeah, something like the use um, of a carbohydrate such as like a xylanase, um, certainly for the cost of it, it's relatively inexpensive today. Um, And there's not just from the nutrient release that it that it might provide, but also if you think of some of the work that we've seen in grow finish pig, just from the health and mortality side of it, um, there there's some things there to consider as well. Um, in addition with that, though, it's probably best to consider um, the macro ingredients of the diet and the substrate that that those enzymes would be working on. So for example, if you were using um, a little bit higher level of distillers and lactation, um, given their intake, then yeah, a xylanase maybe would fit because you have that available substrate for the xylanase to work on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I think those are all really good suggestions around things that we can consider um, with our nutrient management perspective of, of the diet nutrient concentration. Um, but I'm going to go back now a little bit deeper. So we, you mentioned way at the beginning of this conversation, increasing lysine level. So how do we know where we need to go? Um, how do we help producers understand what nutritionists are thinking about when we say, well, we're going to increase lysine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having some sort of an idea of what, even if it's of intake, even if it's based on feed deliveries and the number of sows in in stalls that are being fed, on a on a rolling average, you know, we're we're not asking to go and and weigh feed for all sows or even a subsample, but just some marker of you know, this is what in cooler season um, a general average intake is. And then when we move into warmer seasons, um, depending upon your your geography, um, you know, th- this is the change in feed intake. So you might see it to be a pound difference. And so then we would take that into account to achieve our, our grams of amino acids or grams of lysine. Yeah, I think you just hit the key point right there, right? We used to talk percent lysine, what percent lysine's in the diet, but particularly for sows, that feed intake is so critical to ensure that we're getting to a set grams of lysine. Um, because we know if we don't get there, right, we don't get the wean to estrus, we lose litter growth rate. And so I think that's very important for our farmers to understand. Um, and litter growth rate would be one that I would encourage too, right, to kind of know how much weight they're going to put on those pigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in general, you know, we talk about voluntary feed intake, you know, we want to minimize body weight loss of the sow in, in general, she's probably going to put it into her pigs as opposed to put it onto her body 
um, during the lactation phase. So any groceries, as I sometimes call them, any nutrients that we can get into her during lactation, especially a time when intake is a little bit challenged, um, is a value to her, not just for that litter, but then the subsequent litter. And I think that's that's one area that we've really tried to um, spend some time talking um, with our producers that we work with is that, you know, really we're, it's, yes, we're talking about feeding sows during the summer, but there's a downstream effect here um, in that whole cascade of, of seasonal infertility. And those pigs then that get produced, so let's think about the flow. So say she farrows in July, August, um, she's going to breed then again, August, September, or wean breed. And then those pigs that she farrows are going to come to market kind of in that June, July timeframe. Those tend to be our most profitable months um, of, our, of our marketing um, season and cycles. Um, so this really talking about feeding sows during summer now is setting us up for what our profit potential could look like um, come next summer. And we've spent a lot of time with grow finish pigs and talking about our summer strategies um, this year, really in talking about sows and, and summer lactation this year, we're already thinking about marketing pigs for next year. Absolutely. And that's something that's sometimes hard to think about, right? We're already right. 10 months in the next year's cycle um, when we start talking about breeding the sow this summer. So mm -hmm. absolutely a good point. You made up a, or you, you made a mention of, of increasing voluntary feed intake and, and you said it now a couple of times. So let's really dig into that because I think it's important. Um, and you can correct me. The, the rule of thumb I always would use for producers is the sow needs four pounds of feed for herself and she needs one pound of feed for every pig that she's nursing. And so, you know, the target then if she's got 12 pigs is 16 pounds of feed. So how do we do that, right? Especially in the summer, how do we get that voluntary feed intake? Do you have any thoughts on that for our, our audience? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, some of it all comes all the way back to gestation. So getting those sows in appropriate body condition going into farrowing. Um, so to some degree, we can start our summer feeding strategy for sows and lactation today in gestation. Um, those sows, if they come into lactation um, heavy on body condition, they don't eat as well. Um, they probably have, um, could have some farrowing complications. So it, it's just kind of a spiral effect there. If we don't have them set up in, in good body condition coming into um, lactation. Um, ventilation in an environment in, in the room. Um, so making sure that your temperature curves are set correctly and that um, fans and cool cells, if you have them, that they are functioning um, the way that they should. Another one would be um, water intake. Um, you know, water is not water, but also just the delivery of it. So um, some things we talked about um, kind of before we jumped on the recording here, um, water pressure um, is one to, to kind of consider or to 
to measure. And that, um, you know, the neighboring sow should not be able to drink her her neighbor's sow. So you don't want the garden hose effect where, you know, they get blasted in the face and that kind of backs them off or turns them away um, from drinking water. Also, thinking about the transition from gestation to lactation. Um in, in gestation, there's there's different um, water delivery methods. So some might be on a water trough, some might be on water nipples, but particularly if you're going from a trough to a water nipple, um, there's, there's that change. And especially if it's a young female that's not familiar with um, the water nipple, that can be a reason of why um, maybe their water intake isn't what it should be or could be. And, and, and both of those, all the, the water intake can lead us down a road of constipation. So again, that kind of goes back to the fiber and in, in gestation part as well. But um, constipated sows will also back off of feed and, and won't eat um, as well or as much as they should and could. Um, and there's a relationship to feed intake and water intake. Um, so I think kind of the rule of thumb I, I've always heard is is three to one there on that that um, relationship of, of water and feed. Um, and so if she's not drinking enough, she's probably also not eating what she could. Yeah, I think one of the things that always maybe frustrates me in a barn, and I, I know it frustrates others, is is the guilt. Right. She's she's younger. Um, she's inexperienced walking into the farrowing house, so she doesn't recognize her surroundings. And then, of course, we're having her farrow out these little creatures that are now surrounding her all day. And so she's trying to figure all of this out. So how do we help her um, during those summer months? Because to me, she's probably our most critical animal, particularly in the summer, right? Year round, but particularly in the summer. Yeah, yeah, like you said, um, particularly in the summer and year round. But again, we're just compounding factors here when it comes to summer. But you know, if you have the ability to kind of group those young females up together in your rooms, um, you at least know, identify, hey, this is the row or this is the section that we need to pay particular attention to in terms of um, making sure that they aren't backing off feed. Um, also, again, kind of around all of those items on on water quality or water intake, excuse me. Um, and then again, that transition. So kind of you know, one thought I, I've seen um, kind of a little trick is that from to kind of understand or know if a gilt or a sow um, has consumed water after coming into farrowing is to put a little peanut butter on the nipple waterer. So it's one, an attractant, you know, but two, then if the peanut butter has gone, you know that she's, there's a high likelihood that she has found the water and, and is drinking. So. I like that trick. Yeah. We were, we were talking about the old PED days with, with limestone on the water nipples and looking for that, but I like the peanut butter. That's a, that's a good one for today. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. Sal's will like that. So I think, I think that's actually a really novel way to, to try to help farm staff, particularly um, very quickly and easy identify animals that aren't getting what they need from a water perspective. Mm -hmm. How about just from a general barn management perspective, um, 
Anything we can do from a feeding strategy standpoint for the summer months that might be different than than other times of year? Yeah, so um, females, sows, gilts are more apt to consume feed in the cooler part of the day. So later in the evening, maybe overnight, but you know earlier in the morning. So one consideration would be to adjust when your feed lines run. Um, so that, you know, if you come in early in the morning and you have sows that have cleaned up all of their feed, that's great. However, you know, maybe they could have also consumed another, you know, half pound pound, um, well before you came in and they didn't have the opportunity to do that. So just, you know, monitoring how many sows are um, have cleaned up their feed first thing in the morning um, before that feed line runs and then adjusting the run times of lines um, accordingly so that um, there aren't as many sows that um, have cleaned up everything. Yeah, I think it's a good point. One of the rule of thumbs I always learned was um, while the sun might be at its most intense at about three o'clock in the afternoon, at least in the Midwest in the summer, the sows and the animals don't really experience the heat stress until you know till about five mm. o'clock right so we need to to plan on them not really becoming active in their feed feed intake until a few hours after the sun is at its most intense and that's when it starts to kind of cool off for the evening if you will and mm-hmm. so i think that's a very good point of how do we set those systems up um from an automated standpoint to ensure that everybody's getting food but then what if you're hand feeding you know, how do you make sure there's food present before workers go home? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I agree. I like that. I like that idea. Um, any tips or tricks on how to get a gilt to eat more feed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, you know, wet dry feeding can help there um, just to encourage, stimulate um, some some feed intake, though, if she's not eating it, then you do kind of have to be, especially in the summer, it's a really good environment for feed to go sour um, pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, there's pros and cons to it, but that would be a way to, to get them to a uh, little more feed intake into them. Um, it, it could go down that the added there are some additives out there as well that um, seem to give some some stimulation to feed intake. Um, so th- those would be and, and of course that would be applicable across parodies. But again, that young female is if, if it, of anyone in the barn, they're going to be the most. Um, you know, compromise during that time. And they do represent a fair number of females um, in the herd. Absolutely. And I think when we talk about replacement rates and the concerns we have today with culling, that, that's an important thing is we need to focus on that that young female and try to find a way to, to keep her in the herd and, and keep her productive. Um, so one of the other things that I used to think about too is just frequency of getting getting the animals up. And so any thoughts on that? I mean, obviously we don't want to disturb them between the hours of 12 and three, but um, any thoughts on how often we get them up or any other maybe tricks that we should encourage the farm staff to think about for the summer? Um, Additional um, tip or trick to get sows to, and gilts particularly, to 
eat more um, during lactation, um, getting them up um, would be, you know, it, with labor challenges, um, you know, if you can achieve one time a day, um, that would be good. Um, kind of some of the things that it would, would offer, it kind of stimulates them to get up and eat, drink if they haven't. Um, if she has a challenge in, in getting up or doesn't want to get up, um, that would identify the females that need um, some attention, whether that's a treatment or, or just further monitoring. Um, but again, just some further attention that she would need. Um, getting them up would also um, stimulate defecation. So if you have some constipation going on, um, probably most likely to see that in that first week before kind of as they're getting up onto to full feed, um, you know, interacting, getting sows up would, would also help achieve that. I think those are all really good tips for summer. And I know we could continue to talk more and I'm, I'm sure people may have some questions related to diet formulation and so forth that they certainly can reach out to you and, and ask for more detail, but we're kind of wrapping up our time. So I was wondering if you could maybe give the audience just a few key points or take home points today um, as they're getting ready to head into summer, what they should be doing in their barns. Yeah, I, I think the one of the biggest things to remember is that, um, you know, the long-term downstream effect that summer lactation feed intake has on, on the whole um, production system. So while we're talking about, you know, feeding sows for this summer, it's that subsequent farrowing that really gets impacted. And, and when those pigs are born, they're going to, when they're marketing, they're going to hit in the summer of next year um, during our most profitable, likely to be our most profitable months. Um, so that would probably be the big thing. Um, and then two, um, you know, we can voluntary feed intake, any, whether it's barn management, um, you know, environment related, um, you know, we can do things diet formulation wise to, to overcome the, um, change or reduction in nutrient intake. At the end of the day, we're going for nutrient intake. Perfect. I think that's a great wrap up of what we discussed today, Aaron. It is time to our famous three. Um, so as you know, we like to ask our guest speakers a couple of questions. So the first one I like to ask is, is really around a swine resource book. Is there a, a resource in general? So is there a resource that you would recommend to the audience? Yeah, so I think a, a couple of books that I um, more frequently pull off the shelf. One is going to be um, Swine Nutrition, which I'm sure several of your guests have have said in the past. Um, and, and then the Gestating and Lactating Sow. Um, that's, uh, it, it's just, it's always a phase area of production that, um, I've enjoyed, appreciated. Um, I, have spent of all the, you know, on a, growing up on a fair to finish farm, um, farrowing barn was probably my favorite place, um, to, to spend my time. So it's just always been a phase that, um, I've, I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a couple of those books. I do enjoy the Lactating Sow book. It, I still give it to, to people to read periodically. So I think it's definitely a good resource and one we haven't heard on the podcast 
So um, the next question we like to ask is really, are there any other books that you would recommend that aren't pig related? Um, yeah, so I guess more so maybe from an, an author, because I can't pick, I guess, one favorite. So I'll kind of go with with the author. Um, probably one of my favorite authors would be Elizabeth Elliot. Um, so her, for those that aren't familiar with her, her um, husband was a missionary and um, was actually killed um, while doing mission work with a group of, of people. And actually, she then um, kind of came in behind them and continued that um, ministry there. So um, kind of became an author after that and have really enjoyed her writing. I'll have to check those out. I've not heard of her before. So very good. Well, the last question we like to ask is if you think about somebody who in your life you feel is successful, what characteristic or trait do you feel like they possess that's allowed them to become successful? Yeah, so um, I probably it, it, there's there's probably several traits um, and that that come to mind. I guess maybe a, a couple that rise to the top are going to be just humility um, and and not being afraid to um, ask questions and not making assumptions. Um, and then um, two, just determination. Um, and that kind of, I think, can incorporate to just being flexible and, and adaptable um, to, to challenges, but also to change. Because as certainly as um, our industry knows, it seems like every, certainly every year, maybe even every month, there, there's some something new that we haven't seen. And that's certainly been evident the last few years. Um, that, that we've seen. So. Absolutely. I think that's a great tip, particularly where we're at today. So that's wonderful. Um, for our audience again, this is Dr. Erin Holmes with Cargill. She is one of their swine nutritionists. Erin, we do want to thank you for your time today and all the tips and tricks that you shared with us. Thank you, Laura. Enjoyed it. Great. Take care. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.